Alone. 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 With Peter. On this episode of Alone with Peter, living versus traveling abroad, the benefits of full immersion. Honestly, what's the big deal? Why Korea and why teach? Dealing with culture shock. What's it like and is it even worse coming back? And of course, I'll be sprinkling them some stories to highlight the experience along the way. Good people who have traveled from villages near and far, lend me your ears. Welcome back to the podcast. I've been really psyching myself up to do this episode for a while now. And I think it's just an interesting topic to consider really quickly because as of the time of this podcast, at least, a lot of us are stuck in self-quarantine because of this coronavirus. And, um, you know, I've noticed with my creative endeavors that the hardest part is starting. And I think it's just this moment where you realize that, like, I think this is a good idea. I think that I can do it well. But what if I don't do it as well as I want to, as well as I think I can? And that really hampers me sometimes. But that being said, now is a really great time to work on these kinds of projects. It's, you know, it's it's a little bit of a conundrum because my brain is telling me, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that right now. That's scary. But when else am I going to do it? Anyway, uh, you know, it's a good time to really consider some of those passion products you want to get done. And that's what this podcast is for me, so... The topic for today's episode, as I mentioned, is that idea of living versus traveling abroad. And I think there's an interesting bookend that comes into place here with this episode because if you've noticed, a lot of what I talk about on this podcast at this point is New Year's resolutions, goals, and traveling. That's a huge part of who I am, at least at this point in my life. It's I can't escape it. Um, so, you know, to talk about this topic of living versus traveling abroad, I think really it'd be interesting to kind of start from square one. In the beginning for me is uh, Campus Coffee Bean in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was sitting in the bean and I was, at the time, I was in between jobs. I, I was working two different jobs, but I was really looking for the next career gig. And I had applied for some jobs in Europe and some jobs in Japan and gotten some interviews, but ultimately did not land any of them. Very, very frustrating situation. I was sitting there ordering my coffee, and I don't know why, but for some reason I was like, you know, Asia still sounds pretty cool. How the heck else can I get a job there? And I kind of just in that moment, Googled it, and then I made a phone call, and that phone call was supposed to be five minutes, ended up being an hour and a half. The guy I talked to was amazing. And a month and a half later, I had finished my TEFL certification, teaching English as a foreign language, and I had applied and gotten a job in South Korea. And three months from that moment, I was in Korea, which is a wild experience, though it was a whirlwind. And honestly, there was so much paperwork and other stuff. But the interesting thing is I found myself, you know, they asked me on the application. We can't guarantee where you're going to live, but do you have a preference? And I made this decision. I actually don't want to know because I kind of feel like if I 
really research heavily and I and I'm like, oh, I really want to go here, but I find out that that's not going to be the spot I end up, that's going to be hard. So I ended up going the complete opposite direction. I put no preferences and I decided to do very minimal research on what Korea was like other than a couple uh, things like learning about their education system and a little bit about their culture. But I didn't really want to have this predisposition to what my experience should be like uh and i just remember that you know after that 22 hour flight arriving in korea getting picked up and brought to the first city changwon changwon is the capital of the province that i was working in ginsangnamdo is the name of the province and changwon is the capital now here's an interesting thing to give you an idea of really how small south korea is in the grand scheme of things Changwon is the capital of this province, 1.07 million people. That's it. Ninth most populous city in the entire country and the capital of this province, and it's only 1.07 million people. Now, to give you an even better indicator here, Ginsangnamdo, the entire province, only has 3.5 million people. Seoul, the biggest city in Korea, has 9 million people. So it's a very densely populated but pretty small place. And, you know, people talk about culture shock when it comes to traveling abroad. The culture shock stuff hit me pretty early on, I think. Those first few days, I had orientation in Changwon, the capital. And I had so many moments early on. I remember I was just so excited, so I was just kind of running down the sidewalk in the morning and it was pretty cool out it was springs uh you know early uh, late february early march and i was like oh my gosh guys the sunrise at least uh wow this fog is really heavy i had just come from flagstaff as i mentioned before which is a mountain town and this is like you know pretty much sea level so i was thinking wow this fog i feel like i'm drinking air it's crazy uh found out that it was not fog. In fact, it was just air pollution, which during that time, they had some of the worst air pollution they've had in a while. But I experienced that issue throughout my time in Korea, just not on that level. But I thought that was so funny. At first, I was like, fog? Um, you know, the other area that I really, you, you don't think about until you're there is like, for example, in Asia, a lot of times there it's it's very much apartment style buildings, and so you'll have businesses on top of businesses on top of businesses. So when you're looking for a place to eat or something, you're looking up sometimes, which for me this still doesn't feel natural. But then you got the effect of the neon flashing and the Korean uh, ads, and uh, it's a lot to take in at first. But it was pretty exciting. After an orientation period, um, I ended up heading to my school, which the other wild thing about this is it really was a lottery system. I didn't know what age group I was going to teach. I didn't know what city or if I was even going to be in a city. All I knew is I was going to be in Yunsangnamdo somewhere. And so at the end of orientation, a teacher comes up, they hand you a pamphlet and they say, hey, congratulations, you're going to this place. Here's your teacher. See you later. And so I ended up in Samchampo, which is a small little town. Uh, you know, two towns can dine, actually, 100,000 people. 
And uh, people were like, oh, gosh, that's so cool that you made it to Sam Champo. And I was like, yeah, yeah, what, where is that? Because I've, I've never done that research before we talked about. So I really went in there dark. And uh, for me, at least, I felt like that made it more exciting. Um, and that's the thing about living and traveling abroad that I really enjoy, I've learned, is that exploring those differences. I don't really find them so much scary as I do exciting a lot of times. I really want to learn about it and, and come back and tell people, hey, guys, this is what they do over here. Check it out. Um, but so anyway, as we drove to Sam Champo, I remember it was the most beautiful drive. There's cherry blossoms blooming right around this time of year there because this is the wild thing is that I'm giving you guys memories from pretty much exactly a year ago for me. This would have been around the time that I was heading back. And uh, the potgot, the cherry blossoms, are some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I really wish I could see them again. But on the way to Sam Champo, there's just the mountainsides were lined with them. And as I arrived into town and I got dropped off at my house, I got uh, introduced to my neighbors. I had two cows for neighbors, which is the best thing ever. I ended up calling them Ben and Jerry. They got so much bigger towards the end. And uh, after that, I met the co-teacher, the person who's kind of my connection to the school. So anytime I have a question or anything, I go to this guy. Well, early on, the, before you start school, I had to do a doctor's visit. And to give you guys an idea of some of that culture shock, I'll tell you the story of my first doctor's visit. So we go into town, and as you enter the hospital, you know, I'm painfully aware of the fact that no one speaks English and there's no one else like me in the place. Uh, and as we go up to the front desk, the nurse finally calls us up. And this little lady, she hands me a Dixie cup and she points to a green line and kind of just gestures that I head that way. And I look at her and I look at the Dixie cup and I look at the line and I go, all right. So I follow, the, I follow the green line, and it takes me to the bathroom. And in this moment, I look in the mirror, and then I look at the cup, and I go, Oh, dear God, I really hope I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing right now because I'm about to pee into this cup and bring it back to this lady. And I actually have no idea if that's really what she's asking me to do or not. Thankfully, in this scenario, it was. <laughs> at least she never threw it at me or anything. But it was very nerve-wracking to think, oh, my God, I'm going to give this girl a cup of urine when she was really just asking me for a cup of water or something. Uh, that was my first real experience of culture shock. That doctor's visit was so intense for me. But getting into that topic of culture shock, what's it like? How do you deal with it? And is it even worse coming back to your home country? Uh, and some of the challenges of adapting are going to be different for everyone, right? So, but for me, going there, it was the simple things that were the hardest because I was just getting used to reading Hangul. They have a different alphabet. I didn't understand anything I was reading. So, you know, I go into a restaurant to order food and yeah, I can read what it says, but I have no idea what I'm ordering. You know, going on the internet, they actually don't use Google. They use a totally different system. So how do I look something up? How do I adjust to this foreign alphabet? Uh, so some of those small things were just 
you know, normally you do that just fine on your own, but you have to call someone up like, how do I use my thermostat? Uh, or look it up online. And then the elementary school system is, it was a completely different style too. I, I ended up thinking it was pretty amazing. So, uh, something to be aware of with Korean culture is they've got a Confucius hierarchy. Now that basically means, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but to give you an idea at least that if you're older, that you command a certain level of respect, your title matters as well. So age dictates etiquette a lot of times, how you respond to people, whether or not you can be someone's friend. Uh, and I, early on, I was given a piece of advice that helped me out a lot, which is find somebody who's around your age and watch what they do. <laughs> but there's this thing in elementary school culture specifically, at the elementary school level, they have Hueshik in every part of their culture, but the elementary part of it is a little bit more intense from what I've been told. That's all I really know. But if you can imagine, you meet, you know, 40, 50 new teachers. None of them speak your language, and you have to go out to dinner with them all. That's pretty much what it was like. So for someone like me, who's a big talker, I pretty much had to sit and listen, which is a good skill for me to have learned. But uh, it was intense. And I remember the first Hueshik I went to, we were all sitting at this restaurant. And at one point, the my co-teacher came up to me and had me go and introduce myself to the principal. Now, in Korea, the principal is the highest position in the system. And in elementary school, at least, it seems to me that the principal is close to elevated to the level of empress in the sense that everyone is incredibly respectful to the principal, always very aware of what he or she needs, and really wants to make her happy. And so when I introduce, was introduced to the principal, the first thing I had to do was this very deep bow and offer her a shot of soju and then take a cup of soju myself, turn to the side and down it. That's an interesting part of Korean culture is the drinking culture as well. Just an interesting stat about soju, which is a Korean liquor. Soju has 71 million cases sold in 2014. At least at that time, that was more than any other liquor brand in the world. And being the most consumed alcohol, or at least the most purchased alcohol in the world, about 80% of it is consumed within Korea. That was a stat that I read, and I remember thinking, whoa, that's pretty intense. Another aspect of the Korean culture, besides the hierarchy and that drinking culture I just mentioned, is the elementary volleyball culture, which I thought was pretty amazing. So in the elementary school system, the teachers will often play volleyball together. And I ended up becoming pretty popular because I love sports. So I enjoyed the volleyball. And also because, you know, the average height of a Korean is like five foot five. So being six foot, I was head and shoulders ever everyone. I was the tallest. I was the strongest, often the fastest person there. I was the token white guy, which was pretty funny experience, you know, uh, which in general, I was the token white guy around the whole town. In Samchampo, I was maybe one of, I want to say, 12 people who were not Korean. 
other than maybe the, you know, dock workers, people from Vietnam and other places. But certainly I was one of the only white people. Uh, so it's just a totally different contrast, you know. Uh, as I mentioned before, how do I get past some of those things? Everything being so different, the culture, the language, the school system. I just, I really enjoyed the differences. Um, I thought it was awesome. And, and so to come back to that idea of living versus traveling abroad, I really feel like one of the cool things about living abroad is that it gives you an opportunity to really fully immerse. When I travel, I like to sightsee, I like to eat food, but I never feel like there's enough time. You're visiting a place. Maybe you get in a hint of the culture, but you don't really have a time to do the day-to-day -day things, right? I never had to cash a check in Vietnam. I never really had to cook at my house in Singapore. I didn't have to, you know... I, I didn't have the opportunity to make as many local friends when traveling places. But when you live somewhere, the day-to-day -day mundane stuff, you have to understand how it works and learn it. And I think that's such an awesome opportunity to really get fully immersed into a culture. Uh, and that's why I wanted to talk about what that's kind of like. Um, and to do a callback to the previous episodes when we were talking about the year in review, right? To, you know, be able to say, what is it that I got done? How, you know, how did I succeed at some of these tasks? Living abroad is just this unique experience that I created so many deep friendships uh, and it's just really cool, meaningful exchanges. And I wanted to highlight a couple of them. So for me, the young teachers, I was able to really... Uh, make some deep connections with the younger teachers at my school. And it took a lot of time because there's this thing in Korea culture, English anxiety, that can be very intense. And, you know, it's not always easy to become friends when you don't share the same language. You have to work a lot harder. Now, in my situation, there weren't even any, very many other foreigners there, but I really valued making Korean friends. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to say towards the end, I can really, I really left a lot of good friendships behind. But the way that I did that was by really finding a way to share my culture in a respectful way while also showing my interest in Korean culture, you know, learning and practicing the alphabet, paying attention to how people say thank you for a meal, um, kind of observing and mimicking and asking lots of questions. One of the surprise things I had early on coming in is I'm so used to, for example, when I visited Europe, everybody says, oh, you're from the U.S. This is what I think about your politics. What do you think about this? You know, this thing is the thing going on. What do you think about that? I didn't get a whole lot of that interest in U.S. politics in Korea. It was refreshing in a lot of ways, but it was also pretty surprising. I didn't get that many questions early on about the U.S. Um, but, I, you know, the other thing I had to work on was living in isolation. You know, I, generally speaking, I went to school, I interacted with teachers and my students at school, and then I came home and I did my own thing which as an extroverted extrovert, something I like to call myself, 
it was not an easy situation. I had to learn to kind of be comfortable in my own skin by myself doing my own thing. Um, and I'm thankful that I had some friends I made along the way. For example, uh, Bumsu and Tiwan are these two beautiful people, cafe owners in my town. And I had this cool opportunity around Christmas time. We had become close friends. From, I, I would always come to their cafe and play guitar. And they asked me to do a cultural exchange. And I jumped on it immediately. I said, absolutely. What do you want me to do? I'm all in. So because it was around Christmas, we decided that I would kind of share a little bit about American and European Christmas culture, which I had an opportunity of experiencing both. And then sharing that with the Korean people in town, because to be honest, they don't really celebrate Christmas to the level that we do. It's not really a big part of their culture. So I was able to do that and play a bunch of music at the cafe. And it was the most nerve wracking thing for me in a lot of ways is the first time ever playing specifically a concert for other people. I played a lot of guitar by myself or for my students, but never a concert just for me. And it was a small cafe with eight people. It was a very intimate situation, and I was super nervous. But at the end, it was such a cool experience because I had these Korean people come up to me and tell me that was the best concert I've ever been to. I'll always remember that. And uh, this lady came, brought me a gift. She came from two towns over just to go to this concert. And she said, hey, you know, I know you're living, you're living away from home. I wanted you to feel at home, so here's this food. And uh, it was just a great, great example of culture exchange, how powerful it can be um, that I was able to experience the generosity of Korean culture. It's very gift giving culture while also being able to share my culture as well. So some other quick highlights from that experience that wrap up of living abroad. I also uh, got to experience the Lunar New Year in Korea and in Asia, the Lunar New Year is a pretty important holiday, probably the most important holiday where everyone goes home and they visit their family. Uh, I was just arriving back in Seoul, South Korea, from my trip abroad to Vietnam at the time, and I had some friends who were sweet enough, Woojin and Hansu, who invited me to come stay with them. And so I met Woojin's uh, mother and father, and I basically was treated as one of the family, which was the coolest experience ever. So I showed up, and there's this part of the holiday where the siblings will bow respectfully to the parents. It's a very deep bow. You're on your hands and your knees, and you put your head to the floor, and they, ha and they say, you know, a well wish to their parents, and then the father w was giving uh, small presents to each of the siblings. They had asked me to be one of the siblings, so I was bowing with them. But the father was thoughtful enough to give me a present as well, which really surprised me. Uh, and it was a funny experience because, you know, they, they invited me into their home as if I was one of the family, and I enjoyed dinner with them and everything. And at one point, the father disappeared into his room for a while. And he came back, and what had happened was earlier in the day, Woojin had asked me, you know, do you want to go shopping in this area? And I had joked about, no, that's okay. I, I don't really like to go shopping. I don't even buy socks when I need them. 
Well, she told that story to her father, and her father went into his own closet to find four pairs of his own socks and came out and gifted them to me, <laughs> which, I mean, you can't say no to that. I felt a little bit uh, embarrassed to say, I think I'm homeless, but uh, it was such a cool, cool experience. I ended up leaving their house with four apples, three oranges, four pairs of socks, and uh, 20,000 won, and I was thinking, my gosh, you know, I'm a stranger. These people have never met me before, and they, they basically treated me as one of their own, and I have so many different experiences like that. Um, as I was preparing to leave, there is one other experience I'd like to share. As I was preparing to leave, the younger teachers at my school took the time to have one last dinner with me, and one of the teachers, Jinsu, really wanted to share with me a part of Korean culture, which I had never known about before. It's called Uriju, and it's a bowl of alcohol. Now, the idea behind it is really sweet. And I think this is a great story of my friendship with Jinsu. Jinsu is one of the teachers at Yongsan Chodenghakyo, the elementary school that I taught at. When I first met Jinsu, he was terrified to speak to me. But I learned over time that he did like me, but he just didn't know how to talk to me in English. It was very hard for him to try to do that. And so over time, you know, we had more interactions. He became more comfortable, and we talked more. And this is kind of the culmination of the story. So Uriju is this bowl of alcohol. And it's a part of the Korean military culture. Basically, when one of your buddies is preparing to leave, to celebrate them going away and to show how much you care about them, each person, in turn, pours alcohol into the bowl and says something that they like about that person. Now, the more alcohol you pour into the bowl is symbolic of how much that person loves you. So... As a, I got a chance to have this happen with my co-teachers that I worked with, my co-workers. They all poured alcohol in the bowl. And as it came back around to me, my job is to consume as much as I can, and then they'll help me. Uh, and so by the time the bowl came back around to me, there was a bottle and a half of soju and some beer and some uh, bar food, which apparently that's a thing as well to throw random stuff in there. But uh, Jinsu, when it got to Jinsu, Jinsu says, Peter, I don't like you. I love you. And he poured half a bottle of soju into the bowl. And uh, I don't know. I just really liked the gesture. It was such a funny part of, you know, the experience, but also a very rewarding part of that experience. And just overall, the way that I like to kind of sum up my experience there is this analogy of a root. When you plant a garden, it takes time to grow. You have to water it. You have to make sure it gets enough sun. You don't want to overwater it. You have to pay a lot of attention to how it grows. Now, the thing with the garden, too, is that it takes time. It takes time for the roots to grow and to spread. And yet, if you're paying very careful attention to the soil and the needs of those roots those roots can grow pretty deep within a year. And I kind of felt like that was my situation in Korea, that even though it wasn't a long time, it was a very fruitful time, 
And then when it comes time to take that plant and move it to another place, it's impossible not to bring some of the soil with me, but also leave part of my roots behind. And that's how I've always felt anytime I've gone and stayed somewhere for an extended period of time. I'm leaving behind friends, people who are basically family to me. And I don't know if I'll get a chance to see them again regularly, but I know that a piece of my heart's always in that situation. And so for me, that that's what makes living abroad so special. That's what makes that experience so worthwhile. And if you ever have the opportunity to do so, I highly encourage it. The last thing I really want to touch on before finishing up our episode for today is the idea of reverse culture shock. Is it even worse coming back? And for me, it's a very weird situation because I was in a state of limbo coming to Korea, and I feel very much in a state of limbo now that I'm back. And the other odd situation is that I was leaving right when this coronavirus scare was really ramping up in Korea. It had really started spread in the early stages in Korea as I was leaving. And now that I'm back in the United States, it's really ramping up here. So I'm getting the second wave of this thing, and I'm able to see kind of how people are reacting in both situations. Now, as of this moment, it's really starting to wind down. They've kind of flattened the curve in Korea. I hope that continues to be the case there. It doesn't ramp back up. But we're really just starting to get into the swing of things here. So, I mean, it is important to be safe. Wash your hands. You know, don't travel any more than you need to right now because this is a very uh, infectious virus we're dealing with. So make sure being safe. But that has really added to the culture shock for me. The coronavirus is throwing everybody for a loop. But I've come back. I'm in between jobs, and I'm just kind of staying with my family at this point. Uh, But the other things that really... It's kind of the small things, again, with the culture shock. Like I mentioned before, the style of conversation, people are very much more direct, more willing to tell you what they think you should do. Even the point that I felt a little bit uh, put off by the air stewardess on my flight to Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, she was kind of just, you know, oh, hey, you should turn your air conditioning off and do this, and she's literally turning it off for me. I don't know, I'm just not used to that kind of direct control from another person. The amount of English I'm hearing in general was was a lot more than usual. And just the size of Metropolitan Phoenix. I went to first Friday in town before this all this all got out of whack with the virus. It's the intensity of the melting pot. You know, there's so many different people from so many different places, which is honestly amazing, but so different from Korea. That, you know, you're not going to see a lot of people who aren't Korean there. Uh, and the other aspect, the food and the family and surviving this virus second time around, it's just, it's a lot to be back around family. I'm happy to be here, but I am in a state of limbo trying to figure out what's next. That's going to do it for this episode. On the next episode of Alone with Peter, you don't want to miss out. I got a special guest star. We're going to be swapping stories about some of our favorite solo travel trips. I've been a couple while I was in Asia. I went to Singapore, Malaysia, and two weeks in Vietnam. Don't miss out. Thanks for putting me in your ear and spending some quality alone time with me, Peter.